Well, you can have a seat. Uh, and howdy again. Howdy. All right. It's all right. Ho, ho. We're back. We're back, bro. Man, I love it. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith. I'm the teaching pastor here at Anderson College. And man, I just want to welcome you to Grace. Uh, I want to let you know that, man, we are excited that you have returned. We are excited that you are ready for a brand new year. Some of you, your first year of college ever. We have some 2023. Hey, there you are. I love it. I love it. Man, we are so excited to start this new semester alongside of y'all. And man, I'll, I'll tell you, one of the things that I'm excited about as we start this new semester is that we're starting with a brand new series and that we're walking through essentially learning more about our God. Our God who's so great and so big, who we just sing the praises of. And yet our view of God is such a big deal, and yet it's probably not big enough, right? He really probably is in this, this place. His, his, his scope and his magnitude, his immensity defies our understanding. And so we want to spend four weeks here at the start of the semester essentially looking at who God is and what he's revealed in his word and in our world. And ultimately, though, as we walk through this process, we're going to have to wrestle with the tension, with the idea, with the fact that ultimately we are limited creations seeking to understand a limitless cre- creator, right? We are finite beings seeking to understand and study an infinite God. And, and when I think about that kind of wrestle, when I think about that kind of tension, I mean, it, my mind goes to uh, my very first pet. When I was 10 years old, I received a gift of my very first pet ever. He was magnificent. His name was Rambo, and he was a betta fish. And Rambo, I'll tell you, was the greatest betta fish of all time. And I knew it right from the start, right? As soon as I saw him in that little bowl my parents gave me, I said, you and me, this is a life thing, right? Like we're in it together. He's like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah. And sure enough, I took him in his bowl and I put him right there front center on my dresser, and I would, you know, care for him. I would, I welcomed him into my family. I said, I'm going to care for you every day for what I could only assume will be decades, right? Like we are going to walk through life hand in fin, and we're going to die the same day like the notebook, right? Like I was like, that's going to be our legacy. And yet I was troubled because of a few weeks into owning Rambo and caring for Rambo, he didn't seem to be doing too great. Like when I would clean his water every week, it would be really, really dirty. And when I would feed him every day, I began to notice that he wasn't actually eating. And so his colors that were so vibrant started to fade. And he was, you know, full and and strong and he was starting to weaken. I was like, what is going on, right? Something is deeply wrong with Rambo. And so I had to go to the library and find a book about taking care of fish, right? Because I I grew up in the 18th century. I don't know if you know this about me. It was a simpler time. And we had libraries with books that we would read. And I found a chapter in this book about fish that talked specifically about how to take care of betta fish. And the book explained that betta fish were very aggressive creatures, that they're like, you know, a lot of times we talk about animal, animalistic nature. It's like fight or flight. It's just all fight. Betas are just fight, 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 fight. That's all they care about. And so what it told me was that if they are ever feeling threatened, right, if, they, if they feel any sort of danger, any sort of threat, if they feel like someone's coming up on them in their territory or whatever, then what they're going to do is they're going to ignore all other needs for the sake of fight. 
right? That's what they would do. That's why you couldn't even keep like two males together because they would just, and they would like bow up on one another and just kind of go at it until one of them eats the other one, right? A lot like, you know, core guys. I don't know. That's how that works. But essentially, what I learned was that not only were they aggressive, but they were so aggressive that there was a note in that chapter that said, you need to be careful to make sure that your beta fish doesn't actually even see a reflection. Because if he sees a reflection of himself, he will assume it is another male beta fronting on him, and he's going to bow up into fight mode. And just, and just, all, just that's all he's going to do. And in that moment, I thought about little Rambo. Sorry, big, magnificent Rambo. And I thought about seeing him swim around his bowl, and every once in a while, he would kind of, he'd get these little fishy jazz hands, and it kind of float up, and I was like, what's going on? And I realized, in that moment, I pictured him in his bowl, on my dresser, directly in front of my mirror. And I thought, I've made a huge mistake, right? I'm killing, I'm killing my beloved baby. And so, I told my mom, I was like, we got to go. Like, we got to go immediately to save Rambo's life. So we hitched up the wagon. We went back home. And we, as soon as I got there, I got a piece of paper. And I slid it between his bowl and the mirror. And sure enough, boom, he was good. Immediately, the next day, he started eating. He started looking great. He's still going strong. Just kidding. He's dead, right? Yeah, so a few of you, though, were like, maybe. No, he's a fish, right? But we... When I looked at Rambo, man, ultimately what I realized was that his problem was that he was a teeny tiny fish trying to understand a big, confusing world, right? And I couldn't go into his bowl and explain who I was or what I was doing, right? So he was just kind of in his confusion having to ask these hard questions of like, well, what is this? Who is this giant food provider creature, right? And like, why is he pitting me against my evil twin in horrific death combat every day? Like, why... Why is he doing this to me? Why? Because he was a limited little creature trying to understand a big, vast creation. And ultimately, that's what we have to wrestle with. As we try to study our God, we have to recognize that we are limited creations trying to understand, trying to study a limitless creator. And that's going to lead us to asking hard questions that I think are good questions, but they're hard. We're going to wrestle with who God is. We're going to wrestle with what he's doing because there's room for confusion. But in the midst of that confusion, our God has been faithful and gracious to give incredible clarity. And so I want us to wrestle with tough questions. Like, has God really revealed enough to be known? Is is God, does he really know enough to help, to, to point us on the right path? Is God really close enough to care? To care about our best, to care about our well-being. And ultimately, does God care enough about us to be trusted? So that's where we're headed over the next four weeks. And that's why we're starting this morning in Psalm chapter 19. Because, oh, oh yeah, seniors. Uh, We're reading about this God who's so great and so vast and yet is so perfectly described by the tiniest little shepherd boy, a young man named David, who was given divine revelation from God and inspired by the Lord's Holy Spirit, wrote these words, these truths about our Creator and how He has revealed His identity in creation. Now He has revealed His intent through Christ. 
Okay, so we see this starting out in Psalm chapter 19, starting in verse 1, that tells us this, that the heavens declare the glory of God, that the sky displays his handiwork, that day after day it speaks out, night after night it reveals his greatness. Man, David is starting off looking up at the heavens, probably at nighttime, and he's saying, man, this is just it's this unbelievable amount of information right here. He's literally saying, when it, day after day it speaks out, he's saying literally it gushes forth a word. That's the Hebrew right there. It's gushing forth like a geyser, like a waterfall. It's, it's an unstoppable onslaught of revelation. And he says and it reveals his greatness. Literally right there, he's saying it's declaring, inform, it's declaring knowledge. It's declaring truth. He says, I just have to look up to the sky and I see the immensity of, of my God, of my creator. That's why he goes on and says, uh, this is, uh, there's no actual speech or word, nor is its voice literally heard, right? He says, I, I, it's not that I hear the stars talking to me. He says, but its voice echoes throughout the earth. Its words carry to the distant horizon. In the sky, my, this God has pitched a tent for the sun. He says, you know, the biggest thing we can see, or at least to a uh, based on scale, based on our perspective, the biggest thing in the sky. So that's, that's what God just, he made a little like home for it. That's how big he is. He sees the sun, he creates a tent for it. And this sun, it's like a bridegroom. It emerges from its chamber like a strong man. It enjoys running its course. And it emerges from the distant horizon. It goes from one end of the sky to the other and nothing can escape its heat. He says, we see the mighty power and magnificence of our sun that we rely upon for life and light and heat and energy. It says, and man, that is something that God put in its place. That's something that God just kind of boop, put it where it belonged and created a home for it and sends it across the sky like a bride, like a groom just emerging, saying, I'm ready. And then like a strong man running across the sky. It says, that's what my God has created. While other cultures, they looked up. And they thought they saw the gods themselves. And they tried to put themselves kind of in the stars. They said, oh, look at those stars. Kind of look like a dude with a bow. And like, those look like a, another guy with his mom. And that looks like a crab. Okay. And that's just kind of what they would do. They thought they were seeing the gods themselves. David looked up. He says, no, it, I see just a fragment of what the true living God has created. That's what he's pointing out. That our God has revealed his immensity through creation. And when David looked up, I mean, this is what's incredible. When David looked up, he could see with his naked eye, right? There was very little light pollution at that point. Uh, For those of us that maybe live out in the country, we kind of know what that's like, right? We were like, okay, yeah. When I look at the sky, I see a bunch of stars. Some of us are from Houston. We're like, you mean street lamps? Like, and that's, there are other light sources, actually. And they are, there are about 5,000 of them that you can spot. With your naked eye. That's what astronomers estimate. They say in any given moment or any given evening, uh, you know, you kind of clear out the light pollution. You can see about 5,000 stars. All right? And they would say that in their estimation, there's actually about 200 billion of those in the Milky Way galaxy, right? So we're in the Milky Way galaxy. They said, yeah, there's about 200 billion stars total in our galaxy. Uh, they also estimate that, okay, in total in our universe, there's actually about 10 billion uh, galaxies. Right? And some of them are larger than the Milky Way, some of them are smaller than the Milky Way, some are spirally, some of them are cloudy, some are 
crabby, I guess. And that's, that's just kind of the way that they, and they estimate, they say each one, some of them are bigger, some of them are smaller. Uh, there's probably about 100 billion stars in each one, let's just say on average, right? So then what that leads them to, what astronomers would say is that in our universe, in all of creation, right, in all of existence, they would say there's about this many stars. And I don't know how many of you are math majors, but, oh, good. What is this number? Because <laughs> I know, but do you. One billion trillion. You knew it? Good job. You were that was one billion trillion, which feels like a made-up word, right? Like that's, it sounds like a made-up number. That's how my daughter, my four-year-old, will describe if I tell her, like, we need to wait until tomorrow before we, you know, do that activity. She's like, that's like a billion trillion days away. I'm like, no, it's one, right? Like, that's not true. Liar. One billion trillion. It feels so big. I, this is the issue. I think there are some numbers that feel just so big. They just feel abstract, and so my hope is that actually we would look at things a little bit differently, all right, to kind of help us grasp kind of the extent, the, the scope and the magnitude of creation. I want us to center in just kind of more on the sun, right? David talks about how the sun is this big thing that God's made a tent for in the sky. And so what I want us to do is we're going to look at essentially how big is that, right? Our one star out of, you know, a billion trillion what does that kind of look like? How does that play out? And so in order for us to look at it in a different way, uh, it's going to involve something that we all watch together, and it's going to be something that you hold that's going to be passed out right about now. If you look up an image of the Earth and Moon, you're going to get a picture where they're quite close together, something like that. But in reality, the Earth and Moon are about, about that far apart. That is the Earth and the moon to scale. To create a scale model with an Earth only as big as this marble, you need seven miles of empty space. So that's why we're here. Why did you guys come? I don't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> At this scale, the sun is a meter and a half, so about, about that big around. So we are driving right now to Mercury, and we've arrived. Venus is the same size as Earth. robots rolling around on that one. So right now it's about 7 a.m. We just woke up right before the sun's about to rise. We are on the Earth's orbit. Wiley is over there holding our sun. Cue the dramatic sunrise music. So if we've made our model correctly, your perspective from where Earth is on the model 
will match your perspective from standing on the real Earth. So if you look back at the sun, you will see that the model sun and the real sun are the exact same size. And that's how you can tell that the proportions are correct. We are on a marble floating in the middle of nothing. When you sort of come face to face with that, it's it's staggering. Man, I love that. I love that. I think it really helps us grasp the magnitude of our existence, of our universe, to have these little marbles. There's also the sun is coming up, so look out. Like a bridegroom, it emerges. And like a strong man, it bumps everyone's head on the way to the stage. Thank you, Connor. You're the strong man. Got it. Good job, Connor. Yeah, look at that, Connor. You got some... 915 didn't appreciate you like that. This is the sun, right? It's about, it was, Amazon claimed it was six feet tall. That's not true, uh, but this is actually better. It's a little bit more to scale, 30, for $30 also. This can be yours uh, from the great Amazon. But if this is the earth, right, if this little marble that you're holding, look at the little marble, right? If this held all, you know, seven billion-ish people, spread out across seven big old continents, all the cultures, all the languages, all the history, all of it contained right here, then this is the sun. And this would need to be two football fields away. It's staggering. He said it perfectly. It's staggering. To realize that our God put this in its place, that he set its course, that he in fact designed it in such a way that it would sustain physical life on our planet, that he would tilt us on just the right axis, he'd put us at just the right distance, all for the sake of seeing his kingdom created on earth, all for the sake of his glory being made known to all the people. And that's the immensity of our God. When I realize things like this, when I, when I see a video like that, when I, when, I, when I look at a beach ball this big, that I don't know what we're going to do with now, I realize that God is big. I realize he's really, really big. Bigger than the beach ball, which is going away now. Hopefully. <laughs> Watch your head. But the reality is that, I mean, a lot of times we fail to see the magnitude and the scale and the scope. We fail to appreciate the wonder of our world. Why? Well, it's not every day that we get handed a marble and a giant beach ball that bonks us in the noggin. Right? Like that's, maybe that would help if we really had those moments. Uh, but the reality is that, man, we, we fail to see the wonder of our world in not just the big grand things, but even in the small. That's what we're going to be spending time on in the next couple of weeks. But, but I just want to touch on for a moment this morning the fact that I have three little kids. And they're awesome. Charlotte, Lawrence, and Liam. And they're four, years, four and a half, two and a half, and a baby. All right? And every single one of them is an incredible gift from the Lord. An incredible gift that God has given me. A blessing in my life. The greatest 
legacy I will ever leave, the greatest impact I'll ever have on this earth is being their dad. I know that. And yet they are a gift that I take for granted all the time. All the time. Because I'm around them all the time. I live with them, right? That's generally a good thing to do if you're a dad. Is live with a child. Because they are so common with me, because they're around me all the time, then because of that, I think a lot of times I just I lose sight of the significance. I, I, I lose my sense of wonder. And, and my wife was recently talking with a children's volunteer a few, like over the summer who had been here for the last like four-ish years. She was about to graduate. And she uh, was here, my oldest is four and a half, so she saw our entire family grow up. And she, she told my wife that she was like, man, I've, I've been serving in children's for the last four years. And I, I got to see, it was so fun. I got to see your family grow to start with one kid and then grow from one kid into three. She's like, I've held all of your babies. And she's like, I love it. It's been so fun to watch your family grow. And she's like, and I'm a part of Anderson College. So not only would I see your family grow in the nursery, but I would see Jacob grow in the, in the college auditorium from this excited new father into this like tired dad. <laughs> I was like, fair enough. <laughs> Accurate. Why? Well, because I think a lot of times uh, I make myself the center of the universe, right? I, I, I shift my perspective and I think, you know what? I think this life is really more about me and less about them or less about him. I think this life is really it should be more focused on my needs, on my desires, on my wants, on my goals. And so what happens is I will allow my, my plans and my frustrations or my, my anxieties and my worry to replace my wonder. If I'm the center of the universe, if this entire planet exists for me and you guys are just revolving around me, then yeah, I, I'm so self-focused, I'm so self-centered that, of course, my like, fears and, and frustrations, of course, they're just going to push out any sense of wonder I might have about what God has done, about what God has provided. And, and I'm going to find myself chasing my goals over my God. And I think this is a mistake that a lot of us can fall into. This is a trap that we often fall victim to. And it's why God has given us the wisdom and saying, look, if you want to be a person who really knows who I am, if you want to be a person who's really grounded in the truth that life is less about you and more about him, then what he says is you've got to carve out time. You've got to make and create the moments you need to sit and be still with your God and to study who he is. That's why at Grace, we are so passionate about the Word of God. Not just that we would proclaim it on a Sunday morning, but that you would be invested in it. That you would immerse yourself in God's Word, in His truth, and in His wisdom on a daily basis. It's why we've taken a lot of steps, and we've, we've gone through a lot of effort to equip you with opportunities to, to just enter into that. Whether this is, you know, your 10th year of following Jesus Christ, or your first I mean, we want you to have easy access to see the, the wonderful benefit of being still before your God. And so one of the ways that we do that, that's helpful for some of you, not all of you, but some of you, is that we've created, we've started creating these kind of side, side along uh, reading plans through the YouVersion Bible app. If you have a Bible app on your phone or tablet, that's probably the one you have, the one from YouVersion. And you can find reading plans and you can look up uh, God of Creation. And we have an 11-day plan that you can kind of go at your own pace. And essentially, it builds on the, the passages and the themes that we're going through on Sundays. Search for God of Creation or Grace College, and you'll find it. It's what I use on a daily basis to have just that little reminder, that little notification. 
I've been reading through the Gospel of John. Maybe that's what you do. Maybe you choose a book of the Bible and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forge through this. Great. I mean, God has been using the Gospel of John to, to transform my perspective in so many new ways through stories that I've read many times. And yet, he's brought revelation and application that I've never experienced. God's word is rich, and it's an opportunity to learn more about who he is. And as we're faithful to study who he is, he is faithful to then reveal not just his identity, but also his intent. Not just who he is, but also what he's doing. This is what David saw in Psalm 19, right after he describes the sun and its, and its course across the sky. In verse 7, he says that the law of the Lord is perfect and it preserves one's life. The rules set down by the Lord are reliable and impart wisdom to the inexperienced. He says, you know, like the sun preserves and sustains all natural life. He says, so does the word of God sustain the life of the human soul. It says perfect and preserves your life. He says, the Lord's precepts are fair. And they make one joyful. The Lord's commands are pure. They give insight for life. The commands to fear the Lord are right and they endure forever. The judgments given by the Lord are trustworthy and absolutely just. He says they are all, these words, they are of greater value than gold, than even a great amount of pure gold. They bring greater delight than honey, than even the sweetest honey from a honeycomb. David is calling out the absolute biggest values that he could find in his, in his experience. He says, gold is the most expensive substance that I know of. And you know what? God's word is more valuable than that. Honey is the most sweet, satisfying thing he had ever tasted. He says, you know what? God's word is more satisfying than that. And he is now seeing, he's cultivating a deep affection for this God because of the attention he's given to his God's word. And this value is just rising to the top. And it's setting his heart on fire. One pastor put it this way. He says that the mark of a true biblical student, a true Bible student, a scholar, is the burning heart, not a big head. He says it's going to be something that changes the way that you feel and live. It's not just something that you know. It's not just information that you pack away. Man, I love this. I love this point that you ultimately, if you are in the word of God, what's going to happen is your life will change. Your life will change. And yet so many times we fail to see the worth of God's word. Just as we lose sight of the wonder in our world, may we lose sight of the worth, the value of God's word. And we do this for a number of reasons. I do this for a number of reasons. And some of them kind of line up with these kids right here. I don't mind mind the ice. How do you mind the ice? What does the, the moat have to have, Will? It has to have what? It has totals and Henry's well said and it needs a topic and budget. <laughs> <laughs> What's the word? Buttresses. Buttresses. <laughs> a P E Gorilla. Cool pool. Cool pool. Ka, kapu, pow, kapow. <laughs> because she was taken out of a man. What? Taken out of a man? <laughs> yeah, that's terrifying. It's terrifying.
And you know, the reality is that a lot of us, we've hit these moments. I have hit these moments where I fail to see the worth of God's word. Why? Because sometimes I just do not understand what it's saying. I am unsure. I am unsure of what it's trying to communicate about being taken out of what in the who. And so that's, that's confusing, right? There's other times that maybe I fail to see the worth of God's word because I'm just unaware of what it says, right? I don't know that God's speaking into this issue, that issue, right? I haven't, I haven't studied it. I don't know the truth that he's already revealed, the wisdom that he's already offered. Or maybe I know it, but I want to choose what's easy over what's excellent. Maybe I, I know what God says, and I see the path that he's laid out, but I want to I choose this other one. Why? Because I want this kind of maybe immediate fill or this immediate satisfaction over what is ultimately valuable. I mean, I think we all fall into that trap at times where we maybe don't know what God is saying or we don't understand what's being communicated or maybe we know it and we just, we want to go a different path. And I'll tell you, from my experience, 31 years of life on this earth, a few of which included Rambo, for me, that secondary path, that, that one that I want to forge on my own, it just doesn't pan out. It just doesn't. There's incredible value to the Word of God. There's incredible truth in these letters, inspired by the Spirit, written by humanity, all about our God. I'll tell you, when I hit these moments right, of, of not understanding. When I hit these moments and maybe want to choose my own path, I'll tell you, that the, the thing that pulls me back nine times out of ten is other people. This is why we look at God's Word in community. It's why we gather up and we open the Word together. Because God has told us in His Word that our lives and our walks with Him are better if we surround ourselves with people who share those same values, who don't just share our interests, right? People who are living for that ultimate worth, who aren't just seeking after the immediate satisfaction. If I have those people in my life, they will then help shape my perspective to be right. They'll call me out when I'm stepping on my own, going my own way. They'll, they'll help encourage me when I need it. They'll, they'll admonish me when I need it. They'll, they'll explain things. God will speak through my community to help me grasp and, and understand things about him or, or about who he is or what he's doing. I mean, I need the perspectives and the help of other people. That's why we have events like After Dark. That's why tonight we're going to be at Rudder. Open the door at 745. Start the event at 8. Because not only do we want to step onto our campus, pray for our campus, worship our God, hear from his word, but we want to provide you with the space and the opportunity to connect with our community group leaders. All of our leaders will be available. They'll all be there ready to meet you, to to invite you into the, the community that they're building for the sake of reaching our greater community for Christ. And that's why we have things like this. And maybe some of you can't make it tonight. I understand. Maybe you have other commitments. Maybe you're a breakaway volunteer and you have training from 6.30 to 9.30. Don't forget, you're welcome (laughs) for that reminder. And that's okay because we have a second after dark. Next Sunday, next Sunday evening, here in this room, right? So first one's on campus at Rudder. We would love to see you. If you cannot make it, man, we would love to see you instead. Next week in this room, same time, same goal, to open the word of God pray for our campus, to worship him in spirit and in truth, 
and to build community with one another so that we can never lose sight of this incredible reality that our God has given us a word more valuable than anything we could imagine, that he's given us wisdom that's more trustworthy than anything we can come up with on our own. And I'll tell you, the intention of God behind that revelation, behind that gift, is what David lands on at the very end of Psalm 19. If you look at verse 14, he closes this song, this beautiful poetry, with this statement. He says, God, I want my words and my thoughts to be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my sheltering rock and my redeemer. You see, at the start of this chapter, David uses this term El. It literally means the strong one. It's a very common term or name given to the God of Israel in our scripture. Uh, But at the end, there in verse 14, he switches terminology. He uses a different name. Because when God called Moses, an important figure from Israel's history, he called Moses up out of kind of obscurity and says, I want you to be the redeemer for my people. I want you to deliver my people out of bondage and slavery and certain death. And when Moses questioned God, he says, well, who do I say sent me? Like, how, what authority do I have to go and do these incredible things? God says, you tell them that I am Yahweh. He says, you tell them that I am sent you. In other words, I am the true living God. I am, they are not. And what David is saying is he's recognizing, you know what? God, it's not just that you're this great, strong creator. He says, you also have revealed yourself as a personal, relational redeemer. And you don't just look at your creation from afar, but you love your creation deeply. And we've verified this. We know this to be true. Because this word of God was with him in the beginning, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was fully God, and the Word was with God in the beginning. And then the Word, or all things were created by Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. The light, like the sun that dispels the darkness. The Word of God brought light that dispelled the confusion and the darkness of sin. And then the word became flesh, and he took up residence among us, and we saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace, full of truth, who came from the Father. This is what our God has done. This is the story of Jesus Christ, that he, the word of God, became flesh, that he dwelt among us, that he brought with him the the grace and the truth that exemplifies the Father the creator. Jesus told his followers over and over again, look, if you want to understand the God who made all things, this big father figure, the L that you don't fully understand, he says, look at me. He says, we are one. He says, I am the perfect representation of all of his attributes, of all of his qualities, of all of his care, of all of his heartbeat. Jesus says, you can look at me and you will see the intention of our creator. God has revealed his desire and his motivation. He has revealed his heart through Jesus Christ. So we don't have to just look at the sky, right? Now we can look at our Savior. And we find more than just grand revelation. We find a relationship. That's what Jesus came to bring. Because he was in the world, and the world was created by him, but the world did not recognize him. He came to what was his own, but his own people didn't receive him. He stepped into the ultimate tragedy of our existence, that we have a God revealed by the heavens and yet rejected by humanity. 
that Jesus would step into what he created, and his creation wants nothing to do with him. And in fact, they crucify him. They murder him on a cross because he's not what they want him to be. And in the midst of that rejection, in the midst of that rebellion, all who received him, those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become God's children. How incredible is our gospel? How incredible is this good news of Jesus Christ? That God would send him out of heaven and onto earth to live the perfect life that we could not live, to die the death that we deserve, to be raised again three days later, to prove his power over sin and death. When he was raised from the grave and he says, I want you to believe in me and I want you to call on my name and then you can be made righteous, then you can be made free, then you can be brought from death into life. When he did that, his mission, his intention was to no longer just reveal things about God and declare his worthiness. He came to declare our worth. God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the atoning sacrifice for our mistakes, for our failure. God says, I want you to know that you are worth the death of me. You are worth me giving up everything because I want to know you. I don't want you just to see me as this heavenly figure that's out there. He says, I want you to see me as as your father. You're no longer just this beautiful little creation that I made. You're my beloved children. And that's the burden that I carry, that I want you to see. Because maybe this is your first time at grace. Maybe this is your last time at grace. And I want you to know wherever you land, no matter what path you choose in college, I mean, I want you to understand that you have a God who made you and loves you. And he loves you too much to leave you alone. That he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to make a way for you to have a relationship with him. The God who holds all of existence in his hand. Who knows all the stars by name. Who is outside of our even comprehension of space and time. This God, this creator who made all things. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knits you together in your mother's womb. And he wants you to walk with him. He wants you to be redeemed, to be bought out of the sin and death that once held you captive. That's why he revealed himself. It was in order to redeem his people. He told us who he is because he wants to transform who we are from just a simple creation to saved children. And this is the word worth sharing. Right? This is the message that we want to declare. This is why we invite people to, to our gatherings. This is why we have Bible studies. This is why we send people to the nations. This is why we worship. This is what we share with the world around us. This is why we want every step. I want every moment of every day of my life to be less about me and more about him. Because in light of who he is, I now realize, man, people need to find and follow Jesus Christ. Because that's the way to be known and loved by this God. That's the way to have eternal life that carries beyond this broken little marble world. It's by grace through faith 
in Jesus Christ. So man, can we just continue to worship our God? Can we continue to praise him for what he's revealed? And can we pray to him right now and thank him, thank him for this incredible truth? God, we are just astounded at the way that you would lower yourself, that you would send Jesus Christ to to step out of the glory of heaven and into the brokenness, the pain, the confusion, the heartache, the suffering, and even the death of our world. God, we are unable to even just fully understand how you could love us so much. And God, I know that there's some of us in this room right now that maybe this is a love, this is a sacrifice, this is an opportunity for a relationship that we've just, we've never maybe grabbed a hold of or one that we've never really thought was available. God, I know that there are some of us right now that are feeling the, the, the work of your spirit in our hearts. And he is calling us to you. He's calling us to to believe, to confess. God, to receive the, the free gift of forgiveness found by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And man, as we continue to pray, our, our heads are down, our eyes are closed. Man, I, I would just, I would love to pray for you. If you are just feeling the work of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit in your heart right now, and you're saying, man, I think this is a relationship that I've, I've never really started. This is something that maybe I, I, I'm, I'm ready not because of what Jacob said, but because of what God has already said ages ago. If that's you, if that's where you are, I would love to pray with you. I would love to pray over you. And so if you would, just be bold. And if you'd want to just put your hand up in the air, just so I can see where you are. So those of us on staff can just be praying for you in this moment. put your hands down and, and you can pray with me and just confess God we, we are broken beyond our own ability to repair God we've chosen our own paths despite your perfect direction but God we trust we see that your mercies are new every day that God that Jesus Christ came and lived and died and rose so that we didn't have to sit in that shame we didn't have to sit in that guilt but instead we can be redeemed by the blood of Christ God we can be forgiven and we can be adopted into your family as your children beloved sons and daughters. May my encouragement to you is that if you just kind of laid out your heart like that with me before the Lord, then man, as Jesus says in John 5, you have entered from death into life. And for the rest of us, maybe that's a, that's a transformation that we've experienced in the past. And maybe we're holding tight to it, or maybe we've kind of lost sight along the way. But I would encourage you to take this moment now before we sing the praises of our God to ask him, God, show me what what needs to change this year. God, as I step into this brand new semester, this brand new school year, God, what are the what are the people that maybe I need to surround myself with? Or God, maybe what are the what are the habits that I need to build or the disciplines I need to establish? God, what are maybe the 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 pieces of my life that should probably fade away? Ask the Lord to give you that clarity. And then thank him. Spend just a moment thanking him for the power of Christ, for the redemption available because of his sacrifice. So pray that right now.